Let us pray. Father in heaven, as we prepare to look into your word, we pray that you would prepare our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see uh, the wonderful words of life. We thank you, Lord, that through the fullness of preaching that men and women become saved. And if there's one here who does not know you, we pray that the word would, uh, would be the means by which you uh, save the souls tonight. And Lord, we pray also, Lord, that uh, uh, you would just give me clarity of thought and liberty to proclaim your word, that your people will receive it and that it might be found on good ground or good soil so that we might not only be hearers of the word, but doers of it as well. And so, Lord, we pray that the word would make us rooted and grounded in you and so that uh, we will not be easily moved by uh, false doctrine or false practices. And so bless us now during this time as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Our sermon uh, text is a very lengthy one. Don't worry, I'm not going to go through every single verse. Uh, it's John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verses 22 through 70. I'm going to like speed read through this pretty quickly, so. It's a lot of verses, but just wanted to just get the flavor and the context of it as we look at Jesus as he proclaims, I am the bread of life, one of the seven great I am's of John, and this is the first one. And so let us begin at verse 22. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread, after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, his disciples thought, excuse me, his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the man in the desert as is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Moses, surely I said to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I shall lose nothing, but shall raise it up the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him 
may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Then Jesus complained about him because he said, excuse me, then the Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I've come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God. He has seen the father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and the dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which, come, which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you... Eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. You have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. But my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh, drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Now as your fathers ate the man and are dead, he who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The word I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But, these, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no man can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. As we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it, it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. May the Lord add a blessing to his the reading of the Holy Word of God. Amen. Well, in the uh, military, um, check my time, make sure I don't go over. <laughs> in, in, the, in the military, um, one of the great, um, how can I say it? Well, in the military, when, when, when the, almost every base that you go to, almost everywhere you go, the first thing that uh, is talked about is what is our mission? What is our goals? 
A mission is a specific task with which a person or group is charged. Every base, every ship has a mission statement. Even on our um, end of the year reports, you know, we have things on there like mission ready, mission capable, mission essential. So mission is very important because if you don't have the mission, then you then your goals and your then you get sidetracked and you won't fulfill your goals. So your missions keep you on task. It keeps you focused. It keeps you centered. It keeps you looking to what you need to accomplish. And Jesus came into work to the world to fulfill a mission. It was a mission different than what the uh, Jewish people at that time had. Uh, the backdrop of John chapter 6, what I just read was Jesus did an amazing miracle. He fed 5,000 uh, men besides women and children. It could have been up to 10, 15, 20,000 people. And at this time, the Jewish people did not have a political freedom. They were under the captivity of the Roman government, under Caesar. They had to pay taxes to Rome, and they were tired of it. And so when Jesus did this great miracle, there was this great surge of, of enthusiasm and hope that Jesus would be our political king, that he would be the one that would deliver us from Caesar, deliver us from taxes, deliver us from Rome. And it says at one point they were going to by force make him a, uh, a king. So if there were popularity polls at this time, Jesus would score very high on the popularity poll uh, and on the opinion poll because of this great miracle and because of the great hope that the Jewish nation had for Jesus. And so this uh, this morning, this evening, we want to look at this, uh, how Jesus deals with this, because this was not his mission. This was the Jewish people's mission. But this was not their mission. And so the first thing we see is that Jesus corrects their faulty views of his mission. They were looking for him. They were seeking him. They were excited to seek him. And Jesus knew. He knew what was in their hearts. He knew what was in their mind. And he knew what they were thinking. And that's why he says in verse 26, Most assuredly, I say to you what? That you seek me not because I'm the Messiah, not because you saw all the signs that I did, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. In other words, your bellies were filled, your stomach was filled, and you think I'm going to be doing this on a regular basis. But he says, that is not my mission. That's why he tells them, labor not for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. So immediately Jesus changes the expectation. He changes the way um, he wanted to be viewed. He immediately frustrates their plan. He immediately dispels them of their faulty views and of their faulty plans. And that's why he said that to, to labor for the food which leads to everlasting life. And in verse 28, the Jews ask him, well, what sign shall we give? What sign will you do that we may work the work of God? Jesus had done a bunch of signs already. But again, Jesus is an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. But, he, but Jesus tells him the sign. Believe on 
him whom he has sent. That's the work of God. Now, the Jews at this point say, okay, now you're asking us to believe on you. You, you know, but here's the question. Moses gave us bread for 40 years. You had a nice miracle, but you have a long ways to go to catch up to Moses. But Jesus again corrects them. He says, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. Moses was the one that was there. He dispensed the bread, but, but the heavenly father gave him the true bread from heaven. And Jesus is telling him that again, that your views are faulty, which leads to the second thing. He explains to them what his mission truly is. He says it there in verse 30, 20, 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He contains on in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. All right, this blew the Jewish people's mind at this point. What does he mean? What is he talking about? That he is the bread of life. We want a political king. We want bread and water every day. We want you to be uh, 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 a king for us. What do you mean that you're the bread of life? That you came down from heaven to give uh, uh, life to the world? What does that even mean? And the Jews were getting frustrated, but Jesus was telling them what his mission is, that he didn't come to give temporal bread, physical bread. He came to give eternal bread. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Well, why didn't they understand? How come they couldn't understand? What was their problem? Why is it that Jesus was like talking on one level and they were talking on another level? They were thinking earthly. They were thinking politics. They were thinking being a king. And here Jesus is talking about that he is the bread of life and he came down from heaven to give food, I mean, to, uh, to give himself uh, for, the, for our sins and so on. What does all this even mean? Well, Jesus says this in verse 37, all that the father gives to me shall come to me. And the one who comes to me are by no means cast out. He says it again um, in um, verse 44, no man can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. Well, what's Jesus saying there? That you knew the reason why you don't understand because you're not in my sheep. You don't understand because God has not opened up your eyes and ears to see these great spiritual truths. Here I am offering you eternal life and you're getting frustrated. Why? Because you can't see, you can't receive it, you can't understand it. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians that the natural man receiveth not the things of God. He finds them to be foolish. Here, the Jews were talking about politics. They were talking about physical bread. Jesus is talking about spiritual bread. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. He's talking about something totally different. And they couldn't understand why, because they were blind. They couldn't see this great spiritual realities. We can't see unless God opens up our hearts and our minds as well. Maybe the first time we heard the gospel, the first time we heard about salvation, how did we respond? Perhaps we thought it was foolish. It was silly. It was uh, not for me. But what happened? What changed? God changed our hearts. He changed our minds so that we can see. He showed us our sins. He turned the light on so that we could see us 
for who we really are and so on. And so that's why he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. In other words, there's a secret plan. There is a secret revelation that God has. And God comes and those who God has chosen comes to him and believes on him. How often do people think that they can come to Christ at any time? They can find Christ. They can find God. They can go on their search and the discovery, finding Jesus, searching for God and so on. Well, we cannot find God. God has to reveal himself to us. He's too crafty for us. He's too smart for us. We can't see him. He's invisible and so on. He has to open up our hearts and our minds so that we see. And this is what he's telling the Jews here. Surely there's nothing wrong with the Jews wanting to be politically free. But that wasn't Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission was something else. His mission was to give eternal life. That's why he says there um, in uh, verse, um, let's see, in verse 40, he said, this is the will of him to send me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 47, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. So on one hand, we have the sovereignty of God. No man can come to God. But on the other hand, Jesus says, come. How do we reconcile that? How can on one hand can we reconcile where no man can come to me unless the Father who sends me draw him? And then on the other hand, Jesus says, come, all you that are willing, come. Can we reconcile that? The answer is no, we cannot. Charles Spurgeon says the sovereignty of God, responsibility of man, are, go, are like two parallel lines in the Bible never intersecting. They both are there. Jesus, uh, his invitation is genuine. All who will come, let him come. All who are willing to take, let him take. Whosoever will come, let him come. And yet we know that no man can come unless the Father who sends me draws him. And so what's our responsibility? Our responsibility is to come, is to believe. That's what God says. That's what Jesus says. Whoever sees the Son and believes in him, have everlasting life. That's the promise. And I will raise him up at the last day. Here the Jews have this opportunity, this great opportunity to believe, and they don't. Instead, they're frustrated. They're murmuring. They're complaining. As Jesus says in verse 43, do not murmur amongst yourselves. Look what they said in verse 42. Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know who he is, whose father and mother we know. He's a nobody. Who does he think he is? He's talking about, I come down from heaven. And I'm the bread of life. Who does he think he is? Who is this man that's doing this? There again, the Jews are looking for a sign. They size Jesus up. Suddenly they start complaining and start murmuring because they don't like what he's saying. They don't like what they're hearing. Goes back to the Old Testament where Israel often murmured and complained against God against God's providence, against Moses, and so on. And so Jesus tells them who he is, what he's about, what his mission is. And then he tells us, he even goes further. He tells us to eat of the bread of life, drink of the bread of life. He says in verse uh, 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they're dead. 
The res- no, he's saying he's saying that you already had physical bread for many years. God faithfully rained down manna from the sky so that you could eat. Were you satisfied with it? Did it draw you closer to God? If you read numbers, you see over and over again, they complained about the bread. At one point, they said, oh, we miss Egypt with all of the onions and the garlic and the, and the good food that we have. We are tired of this bread. Give us something else. He says, you, you had this bread. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and the dead. Many of them died in their sins. Many of them died in the wilderness because of their murmuring and complaining. But Jesus says, this is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. What's he talking about? Not die. He's talking about we won't die a spiritual death. We will have eternal life. We won't die in our sins. That this is the bread, just like we need physical bread to sustain us with physical life. Jesus is offering us spiritual bread so that we might be sustained forever in eternity. This is what he means. I'm the living bread which comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. He continues to say he will live forever. No, you're going to die in this world if the Lord uh, obviously tarries. But in the next world, we will have eternal life. We will live forever. This is the gospel that Jesus is the living bread, that I am the bread of life, that Christ came to do what? To save us to save a people for ourselves, to save us from our sins. We have a sin problem. Paul says Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Here Jesus says, I'm giving you life. Will you take it? Will you receive it? The Jews are saying, no. We want a king. We want physical bread. We want political freedom. That's what we want. Now you think even in America, we, you talk about Christianity in our country, especially on the on the those who are more of the conservative wing. Oftentimes, you you hear that, of course, we're Christians. Why? Because we believe in conservative values. We believe in America. We believe in our democracy. We believe in freedom. Of course, I'm in the military, so I believe in those things as well. But oftentimes, they equate salvation. With these things, because we hold conservative views, because we're against abortion, because we are against um, uh, 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 um, gay marriage and, and transgender uh, rights and all these things, we equate these things as we are believers, that God is on our side. Well, the Bible clearly says that there was no one who was more conservative than Pharisees, and Jesus had the most harshest and and, and rough language to uh, describe them because he called them hypocrites. And so, yes, we are proud to be Americans and we are glad for our Christian heritage, but there's much more than being an American. That's why he says in verse 43, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That is interesting. Surely, what were they thinking? Are we talking cannibalism here? What is going on that he's talking about? Well, if you think about it, we are a covenant people. We are God's people. We come here every Sunday to worship. We sing the songs. We, we um, love the hymns. We hear the word of God preached. We 
pay our tithes and offerings and, and, and we, we come together. We fellowship afterwards. All of that is great. We're part of the visible church. But Jesus says something more has to happen. Something has to happen to us on the inside. We must ingest Jesus, so to speak. We must feed upon him by faith. He must become inside of us. He must live inside of us. The Holy Spirit is planted inside of us. And so now, that's what it means when he says we must eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, that's what we're doing. We are feeding by faith. In other words, just as we eat physical food, you think about it. You know, maybe some of you are grillers and you're a great at, at grilling steak. My, my, uh, I was sitting with my commanding officer the other day and he was just talking about the brisket, which he makes. And, and he has a brisket, um, what's it called? A brisket grill, which is about, this is like $2,000. Whoa. At, at Home Depot, they're like $150. And he consoled me and he told me, chaps, that's fine too, but, but this is for the professional grillers. And he was saying that this brisket, it will melt in your mouth. He, he says it's like butter. He says it's so good. He was just explaining it. And it made my mouth water as he, was, as he was talking about it. But suppose he has some of that brisket or maybe some of you can grill steaks and so on. And you put the steak out and you say, there you go. Here's that steak. And you look at the steak and you say, I'm just going to look at the steak. I'm not going to eat it. I'm just going to admire the beauty of it. I'm just going to, oh, the steak looks so good. Is that what the steak is for? Absolutely not. Maybe we can admire the plants. We can admire the beach. Maybe we can admire uh, uh, mountains and so on. But that's made for eating. And we will not, our, our, and that food is designed to what? Satisfy our taste buds as we eat it, as we ingest it, as we uh, savor each taste bud as we close our eyes and we just love it and we enjoy it. Maybe you husbands take your wife out for a nice steak dinner at Ruth Crest where it's pretty expensive and you know and you're enjoying it but you really can't enjoy it because you're waiting for the bill but that's another story but you <laughs> but you eat it and you enjoy it. It's, it's so quality food and that's what Jesus is saying spiritually. Feed upon me. David says in Psalm 34, taste and see that I am good. That's what Jesus is saying. Ingest me. Feed upon me by faith. Embrace me. Eat of me. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. This will give you eternal life. This is what we need. This is what we must have. We must have Jesus living on the inside of us. Yes, on the outside as well as people of God, but to know Jesus intimately, to understand him, to get to know him. We have that privilege as we read the word, as we pray on a daily basis. We get to know Jesus in an intimate, close way. We can carry Jesus in our hearts, with us, wherever we go, whatever we do. You know, I'm a basketball fan, and um, I don't, I know LeBron James, but I don't know LeBron James. I know from him what he says. I know by the way he plays. I know how good he is. I, I hear some of the things he says, but I don't really know him. 
I have never met him personally. I don't know his quirks, his mannerisms, his actions. I really don't know him. But I know of him. Jesus is saying, don't know of me, but know me. Intimately know me. John 17, verse 3, that they might know you and his son, Jesus Christ, that we might know him and understand him. This is what Jesus is offering to us. Eternal life, feeding upon him, eating of him, and so on. Look at verse 67. I'm almost done. Where it says this, that Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? Verse 36, for that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Well, false alarm, folks. We thought Jesus was going to be that political king. He's going to deliver us from Rome. He's going to deliver us from the empire. We had Jesus pegged wrong. Let's go home. That's not the Jesus that we want. That's not the Jesus we signed up for. He's talking about eating bread and, and, and he is the bread of life and drinking of him and feeding on his flesh and doing all these things. And he's the bread of life that came down from heaven. Well, we don't want that. I, we don't know about this Jesus. So many of them stopped following him. You know, as a chaplain, and I, I talk to people all the time, and especially when I'm counseling, one of the questions I always ask is, tell me about your faith. I get this question answered more often than not. I used to be a Christian. I used to go to church. I used to follow, but not anymore. Why? Well, God wasn't there when I was being abused. He wasn't there when my mom died or someone else died. I tried God. I thought he was going to be there, but he just didn't come through. So therefore, I had no more interest in it. Just like the people here. Many people follow Jesus just for what they can get because they want Jesus to be on his mission. They want Jesus to follow their plans. They want Jesus to be on their mission. They're not interested in getting to know Jesus. These people are not interested in getting to know Jesus. They wanted what they could get from Jesus, political freedom. They wanted some bread. They wanted these things. But they were not interested in committed to Jesus and turning their lives over to him and serving him. This is why they went away. Perhaps some of you in here, you haven't gone away, you haven't left, but you are, if you're honest, a little agitated with Jesus because he hasn't done what you thought he should do or what you think he should do. You've been praying about something over and over again. There's been no answer. Now, you love God enough not to leave, but you're a little discouraged, a little disheartened, a little upset that Jesus hasn't done what you asked him to do or what you needed him to do. Is he there? Is he alive? You know, we were listening. I don't know if you have Dave Ramsey, I'm sure all you've heard. You know, sometimes he delves into marriage counseling, which he shouldn't do, but uh, that's another story. But this, this lady was on there yesterday, was listening, and she was just overwhelmed with grief about her husband. 
her husband was basically just a bum in her eyes. You know, he he was not responsive to her. Uh, he was disrespectful. He was not a good husband. She's tried counselors. She's tried uh, separating. She's tried everything known to man. She wants to basically just shake this man and shake some sense into him. Now, all of us who've been married, I guess, have been there. We've all said, look at our spouse. Can't you see? Don't you understand? God, show her, show him what is going on. Show this person. But Jesus, I believe, is telling us that we should not expect him to be on our plans but we need to be on his plans. That his mission is much more important than our mission. And our job is to obey, to yield, to trust him, to realize that he is the bread of life. And that's what he would tell us. Well, Jesus, how come you're not helping us? Why come you're not there for us? He would tell us this, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Is that really answering my question? Is that really answering my problems? Jesus says it is because he says he is sufficient. And he'll work out all the other problems and plans, maybe not on our time. And that's our problem. We want it done on our time. But he tells us that he is the one that sets the agenda, sets the timetable, and we cannot run ahead of him. We cannot drag Jesus or, or make him do what we want him to do. We can't manipulate him like we do other people. We can't put him on the timetable. We must learn to wait and yield to him. He is the bread of life. And he invites us to feed upon him. If we don't know him, to feed upon him and to continually feed upon him. As Christians, may God give us the grace to realize that he is the bread of life and that we will not hunger or thirst. The world is hungering and thirsting for things that do not satisfy. Jesus has all that satisfies. He is the bread of life. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the reminder that we are to do your will and to obey you. Help us to feed upon you. Help us to enjoy you. Help us, Lord, to be satisfied with you. Show us more of yourself, your goodness, and your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you that you came to save a people for yourselves. Thank you for all of us in here who are Christians. Lord, you didn't have to save us. You could have left us in our sins, but you had mercy on us. Let us repay you daily by walking with you and serving you. In Jesus' name, amen.